You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon, reporting remotely for WFHB. This is Don Guerra. And I'm Nikki Stewart-Ingersoll. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, October 11th. Later in the program, WFHB News speaks with Margaret Clements, Vice President of Monroe County Residents Against Annexation, about the remonstration process. More in today's feature report. Also, coming up in the next half hour, we have an update on the Seven Oaks School and their compliance with the local mask mandate. More in the top half of tonight's show. But first, your daily headlines. On October 7th at the Monroe County Board of Health meeting, Health Director Penny Caudle updated the board that Monroe County is now 60% vaccinated and is back in the yellow advisory category. We are officially in a yellow advisory this week. Our cases per 100,000 were 144, and our positivity rate was still under 5%. Um, So that was good news that we were officially in yellow advisory. Again, still a ways to go before we're out of that high transmission. Board member Ashley Craner followed up on Seven Oaks school compliance with the mask mandate. Caudill said that they may not be compliant at this time. The school sent home a face-covering exemption form that gives parents the option to decide if their child wears a mask when participating in indoor activity that is consistent with wearing a mask. County Attorney Margie Rice outlined that they are communicating with Seven Oaks to make sure they understand that the exemption for activities that are not conducive to mask wearing are intended to be cardiovascular activities, not educational ones. Uh, We did send follow-up communication. I sent follow-up communication to Dr. Ship uh, to let him know that the board's intention with that was that it was physical or cardiovascular activity like recess or or gymnasium activity. And we did not consider education or reading to be um, inconsistent with wearing a mask. So um, invited him to attend tonight. He chose not to. um, And We'll continue to follow up and ensure that they're compliant. And if they're not, we'll then we'll follow up. Thanks, Margie. I was just losing my words on the. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So Penny and I've talked about it, and we, you know, we certainly are not trying to be um, hostile towards Seven Oaks, but we are trying to be really clear because it's been our our um, our history with them is that I don't think we always are communicating well. We don't always understand things the way that they do. And so we're just trying to be really, really clear and direct with them. But it may be wise the next time you revisit the health order to clarify that exception so that there is no confusion. The board also unanimously approved their contract with Indiana Recovery Alliance to extend the Indiana Syringe Service Program for another two years. The next meeting will be held on October 21st. 
At the October 6th meeting, the Bloomington City Council approved an ordinance which would give council members the ability to limit the duration of city council sessions to five and a half hours or after midnight. The ordinance was proposed by council member Steve Volan, who expressed concern over the council's inability to adjourn at a reasonable hour. Uh, the idea isn't about who triggers it. The idea is that we all commit to limiting our, the length of our meetings overall, because it benefits no one, no one to, to go to deliberate that late. The decisions are not better that late. They can always be moved to the next day. According to Volan's explanation of the ordinance, it would take one council member to make the motion to adjourn and only one other council member to second the motion. Council member Isabel Piedmont-Smith said she supported the ordinance. Uh, I think it's, um, it's a wise move to, uh, to make it more likely that we will limit our time um, in uh, deliberation uh, in council meetings, because I do feel strongly that uh, it, the quality of our decision making uh, declines as the evening wears on. Um, and it is also more fair to uh, city staff and to members of the public if we end in a timely manner and uh, resume any uh, remaining deliberations uh, at another report time. President Jim Sims did not support the ordinance and commented that he believed the council was already equipped to adjourn without this new amendment. Um, I am opposed to it. I still do not see um, that this legislation is needed or necessary. Um, I don't see that it does anything that the council can do without this legislation. Um, we have different tools um, in order to end meetings. Um, and any council member, as I mentioned earlier, can uh, move to adjourn at any time. The proposal to put limitations on the length of city council meetings passed 7 to 2 to 0. The next meeting will be on October 13th. On October 7th, the Ellettsville Plan Commission discussed the volunteer annexation of 5010 North Lakeview Drive. The petitioner, Kevin Farris, would like to expand his existing business, Farris Storage Incorporated. He is hoping to have the land zoned as a C3 commercial classification. Director of Planning and Development, Kevin Tullity, explained the voluntary annexation on behalf of the petitioner, who was not in attendance at the meeting. Reason for annexation is the petitioner would at some point in the future like to expand his current storage business onto this lot. Um, staff recommends a favorable recommendation to the town council. Um, probably should have said that earlier. This will just be a recommendation to the council with a recommended zoning. And this has been properly noticed in the mail and in the Herald Times. Um, I said he's requesting it to be zone C3, which is the purple color and surrounds it on three sides and everything to the north is still in the county. So it would match the zoning directly around it. Commissioner Terry Baker asked if there was a condition in the zoning laws to ensure there is a buffer zone between residential and commercial zoned areas. Talodi explained that any structure would have to be at least 20 feet from the property line. 
Baker also expressed concern about allowing outdoor storage and remarked it could dissuade individuals from moving to Ellettsville. Well, the last time we had a storage thing before us, one of our conditions was no outside storage. And, you know, we start having a lot of the outside storage and we're going to end up having it look like a junkyard. The commission members unanimously decided to table the decision until the next meeting so that Ferris could answer these questions himself. The next meeting will be held on November 4th. The Monroe County Election Board met on October 7th to discuss redrawing precinct maps and voting space allocation. Monroe County GIS Coordinator Jared Eichmiller updated the board on the re-precincting changes necessary based off of the 2020 census. Allen County Circuit Court Clerk Chris Nancaro was invited to speak to the board. He highlighted the importance of voting center locations being done in a nonpartisan manner. Election preparation and security should never be a partisan issue at all. It's Nicole and I are from different parties, but we ultimately share the same responsibilities and duties to the public regarding the election process. Uh, when you administer elections, there's a bright rise regardless of the political parties involved or who's administering the election. Uh, for instance, the theme, I'll, the theme I'll talk about is voter convenience. Uh, th this can be enhanced by having everything under one roof, which is my understanding of what your county's trying to do is trying to get everything kind of a one-stop shop for everything, more space, one roof if possible. And I'll talk about how that you can tie that into early voting to enhance the voter convenience involved when it comes to elections. Uh, there's also considerations regarding uh, accountability, efficiency, uh, operations, logistics, supervision and security of all your equipment and supervision of poll workers. And Beth will elaborate more on that during, during her portion. And as you know, in today's political climate, we can do 99 things right. And the one thing that goes wrong can make the news or the national news and jeopardize the trust in the election. And the, when you have multiple locations of, for storage and training and this and that, the movement of the people, the equipment, the supplies among the multiple locations, and it, it increases that likelihood of that one thing that goes wrong. President of the Monroe County Commissioners, Julie Thomas, articulated her thoughts on how to move forward with making a decision by working together. I think a good place for us to start is to start with what we agree with, what we all agree on. And I've not heard anybody say anything different, which is we want voting that's fair and accessible to everyone. Um, we want to make this process as smooth and as easy and secure, um, all of those words. And we all agree on that. And we also know that we need to find a solution quickly. So we all agree on that. So let's take those two things and build consensus from there as to how to move forward. Um, and in the spirit of collaboration and moving forward, um, we really want to convene a working group as soon as possible. Um, we've offered before, but we'll be very specific this time. This is an important conversation. It needs its own agenda and its own time and place. Um, and we have randomly picked three days and times next week when we're available. Uh, Monday at noon or Tuesday or Thursday at one. Uh, if any of those times work great, and if not, uh, Ms. Purdy has agreed to send out a doodle poll to this esteemed board uh, so that we can all get one day and time set on our calendars and we can meet. Um, we are currently utilizing this working group model for our criminal justice reform study group. 
Uh, it is on Zoom. It is totally transparent to the public. We don't take public comment. That can come when decisions have to be made, um, which is later. But it's the time to really be focused and transparent in discussions about uh, facilities and all of that. She said that the commissioners are all right with renting out the Monroe County Convention Center for a long-term voting location. But she made clear that the commissioners would like to have satellite sites, since not everyone in the county lives in the city. The next election board meeting will be held on November 4th. Now it's time for your feature report. WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with Margaret Clements, Vice President of Monroe County Residents Against Annexation, to update you on the remonstration process in the aftermath of the City Council's approval of seven of the eight proposed annexation areas. Clements touches on her hopes and expectations for the rebuttal process for property owners who live in the annexed areas. We turn to Cade Young for that interview. Margaret Clemens, Vice President of the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation. Welcome back to the WFHB Local News. Thank you, Cade, for inviting me back. I'm pleased to speak with you again today. Vice versa. So, Margaret, the Bloomington City Council voted to approve seven of the eight proposed areas for annexation late last month. Now, were you surprised at all by this outcome? Uh, We were not surprised, and I certainly was not surprised. We were hopeful that they would uh, save the community division, angst, and expense by prudently voting no. We had demonstrated to them that we had um, the adequate signatures and opposition in so many of the areas that through remonstration would stop the annexation. But instead, they voted to approve it. And so now we have to remonstrate and uh, it will just duplicate what we did in our petition drive. But having done it and having obtained everyone's uh, telephone numbers and email addresses, uh, we're able to obtain their signatures and help them out much more quickly than we were in our petition drive. Absolutely. Now, Margaret, before we dive into the remonstration process, um, just so our listeners are clear, Would you just explain the local group, County Residents Against Annexation, and some of the work you've been doing as a part of that group? Yes, uh, it's a non-political group. I mean, there are Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Independents, all working together across the community, both in the city, in the annexation areas, and in the the areas beyond the annexation areas to help uh, organize inform, and stop this uh, rather silly annexation process. Thank you for touching on that. You know, I just want our listeners to be clear, you know, who you are and the organization that you're representing. Now, on to the remonstration process. So on Friday, the first remonstrators against annexation showed up at the Monroe County Courthouse to start the formal petition process for property owners 
in the annexed areas who wish to challenge that annexation. I saw an article in the B-Square Bulletin where one petitioner said, quote, we are a force to be reckoned with, end quote. Would you agree with that description of county residents against annexation? Yes, we are. We are the people. We are uh, what gives justification to any government structure that would like to serve us in the community. We are a force to be reckoned with. It is the only purpose of government, really, to to govern uh, via those from whom you have consent. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, in the remonstration process, where are you at right now? You need 65% of property owners in any given annexed area to file that petition by January 6th, as I understand it. So how do you hope to mobilize enough residents to challenge annexation in at least some of these areas by January 6th? We've already started. We had a petition drive on someone's driveway uh, last night. We've got one scheduled for Saturday, this coming Saturday. We had another one scheduled for Sunday, another one scheduled uh, for the county fairgrounds throughout the evenings of next week. It's begun. It's afoot. We did not miss one minute. (laughs) Signatures are coming in and people are lining up and we're doing it the way our um, county auditor has instructed us to do it. Um, You said petition drives. That's one thing you guys are doing. Now, what other ways are you um, trying to get folks out there to take action? We are both going to the people and having the people come to us. We are organizing efforts across the county in each of the annexation areas with people who are authorized and property owners in each of the annexation areas to collect signatures. So as I said, we've already begun. We um, have collected, you know, I don't know exactly how many signatures, but across each of the annexation areas, I know that annexation area four picked up their remonstration petitions, annexation area five picked up some of their remonstration petitions, annexation area two picked up some of their remonstration petitions, annexation area three um, is uh, processing theirs, and 1A, B, and C, too. Are, we're, hmm. The process is afoot. We're going to people. They're coming to us. We're not going to stop until we get to 65%. Absolutely. Now, Margaret, you know, just to, to follow up on that, you know, realistically, what are your hopes, your expectations from the remonstration process? How hopeful are you that you will receive enough signatures? Well, here's my hope. Having received enough signatures in the pre-remonstration period in our petition drive in fewer than 90 days, I'm hoping that we can end this remonstration before Thanksgiving and give the elderly in our community some peace. We'd like them to have a happy holiday. We'd like them to to remove from them the anxiety of the burden uh, that annexation would present to them. And we're hoping to enable them to have a thankful and peaceful holiday season. So we're going to do it fast and furiously. Absolutely. Now, Margaret, is there anything else you would like to add to our WFHB listeners before we go our separate ways? I would like to encourage every person in the annexation areas to reach out to your neighbors to make sure that they have signed their remonstration petition. And if you uh, can help them do that, if there are people who are unable to get out 
from their house, if they're elderly and having some mobility issues, please go down to the auditor's office in the courthouse, the Monroe County Courthouse in the lobby, pick up uh, your remonstration petition and obtain the signatures from your neighbors. We need help in uh, obtaining these signatures swiftly. And if you would like to organize or host a petition drive in your uh, driveway, uh, we can help you do that. Contact um, me at 812-361-4424 and we can help set up a, a signature table on your driveway and help you get this done. Uh, we're here to help you to make this kind of difficult uh, process and bureaucratic process easier for the people in the annexation, annexation areas. And also pay attention to the news. Next week in the evenings between uh, 5 and 7 p.m., we're going to be at the Monroe County Fairgrounds and we'll be hosting, have somebody there from each of the annexation areas taking your signature uh, on a valid remonstration certificate. So come on out, sign your remonstration, get it done early, and consider it a gift to your fellow community members, especially the elderly and uh, those who are having uh, economic um, burdens that would make annexation troublesome to them. Well, Margaret Clemens, Vice President of the County Residents Against Annexation, thank you so much for your time and thank you for speaking with WFHB Local News. Thank you, Kate. Up next, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements brought to you from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs show devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. KiteLine airs each Friday at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB Community Radio. You can hear the program online at wfhb.org and wherever you get your podcasts. The studies that examine the underreporting of the deaths of Black Americans at the hands of police are largely conducted over short time periods. A new study, published in The Lancet, covered a longer period, from 1980 to 2018, and found that over 55% of deaths from police violence, or 17,000 deaths, were either misclassified or went unreported. The study from the University of Washington School of Medicine's Institute for Health and Metrics Evaluation also found that police violence was more likely to kill Black Americans than any other group, and that Black people in the U.S. are 3.5 times more likely to be killed by police than are whites. The study found that police kill men at much higher rates than women, with just under 31,000 deaths of men and just over 1,400 of women during the same study period. The researchers noted that there are substantial conflicts of interest intrinsic to tracking deaths by police. Coroners are often embedded within police departments and can lack the incentives to determine that deaths are caused by police. According to Fablina Shahara, a co-lead author of the study, quote, 
inaccurately reporting or misclassifying these deaths further obscures the larger issue of systemic racism that is embedded in many U.S. institutions, including law enforcement. There's a new development in the case of Julius Jones on death row in Oklahoma, whose case we mentioned before. Jones has spent half his life in prison for a crime he's always said he didn't commit. Despite the fact that the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board recommended three to one that his sentence be commuted, the court has now scheduled his execution for November 18th. Recently, Governor Kevin Stitt delayed making a decision about Jones' commutation until after a clemency hearing on October 26th. If Governor Stitt rejects the board's decision, Jones will face execution next month. On September 13th of this year, Jones' commutation hearing was where, for the first time in over 20 years, his story was shared and heard. It was the first time a person on death row in Oklahoma has received a commutation hearing. Jones' story proves there's overwhelming doubt in his original conviction, given that he has a credible alibi and multiple people have come forward saying that another man confessed to the murder for which Jones was sentenced to death. Jones supporters and opponents of the death penalty in general are asking the public to write urgently to Governor Stitt to accept the Pardon and Parole Board's recommendation now. Though the state of Alabama has the nation's highest death rate from COVID-19 and one of its lowest vaccination rates, it's planning to use federal COVID relief funds to help build three large prisons and renovate several others. The construction project could cost $1.3 billion and would use as much as $400 million in American Rescue Plan funds given to the state. That $400 million would be almost 20% of Alabama's federal pandemic relief funds. According to The Guardian, quote, Opponents say the funds should address active and ongoing issues from the pandemic, including overwhelmed health systems, outdated school ventilation systems, and economic fallout for small businesses. Laura Hawks, MD, a primary care physician and assistant professor of internal medicine at Medical College of Wisconsin, told The Guardian that less crowding in prisons makes them safer from COVID, but that the solution is decarceration, not building more prisons. The United Nations High Commissioner on Human Rights, the globe's leading human rights legal body, ruled that Steve Donziger's house arrest is illegal under international law and requested the U.S. release him. Donziger is a lawyer who led a lawsuit against the Chevron Oil Company on behalf of 30,000 indigenous people and peasant farmers in the Ecuadorian Amazon whose land and water the corporation destroyed by polluting them with oil. Eight years ago, Donziger won a $9.5 billion settlement against Chevron in Ecuadorian courts. It was the largest ever human rights and environmental court decision. Chevron refused to pay. Instead, it concentrated on attacking Donziger in court. In 2019, an industry-friendly judge placed him on house arrest, where he's been ever since. Now, Donziger is in contempt of court because he refused to obey a judge's order to relinquish his phone, laptop, and other electronic devices to Chevron, saying that to do so would violate his client's right to privacy. 
A judge has denied the UN's request and sentenced Donziger to the maximum sentence of six months in jail. Donziger's lawyers are filing an appeal, but pending the appeal, the judge denied Donziger bail. A judge has denied the UN's request and sentenced Donziger to the maximum sentence of six months in jail. Donziger's lawyers are filing an appeal, but pending the appeal, the judge denied Donziger bail. Donziger now has the dubious choice of remaining on house arrest or begin serving jail time to reduce the time on house arrest. Amazon Watch, an organization that protects the Amazon rainforest, observed, quote, the saga of Chevron's perversion of the law and denial of justice for the people of Ecuador reached a new chapter as Donziger was even denied bail pending appeal of the decision. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Snyder in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Kate Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Don Guerra. And I'm Nikki Stewart Ingersoll. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. You can be part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for With Good Reason on WFHB Community Radio.